Our scripture lesson today is Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, found on page 3 in your New Testament Pew Bible. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And he said to him, All these I I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Listen to the voice of the Spirit speaking to the church. Thanks be to God. Good morning. As I read this psalm, I want you to imagine that the words of the psalmist are coming forth from Jesus' mouth as he faced down the tempter in the wilderness for those 40 days. The psalmist gives voice to the struggle of the heart in times of trial. And as Jesus revealed in the wilderness, the heart is capable of holding both distress, but not losing hope in God. Listen to this word. In you, O Lord, I seek refuge. Do not let me be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me, rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. You are indeed my rock and my fortress. For your namesake, lead me and guide me. Take me out of the net that is hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit, You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. You hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will exalt and rejoice in your steadfast love, because you have seen my affliction. You have taken heed of my adversaries and have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye wastes away from grief, my soul and body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my misery and my bones waste away. 
I am the scorn of all my adversaries, a horror to my neighbors, an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. But the Lord rescues. I just turned too far. I turned 30 chapters. 30 cha- yeah, that's a little weird. Okay. Let's go at 30 chapters. For I hear the whispering of many, terror all around, and they scheme together against me. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and persecutors. Let your face shine upon me and keep me in your steadfast love. Would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. I grew up about 40 miles south of, southeast of Seattle at the base of Mount Rainier. And Washington is an amazing state because of its ecological and geographical diversity. On the western side of the states are the Puget Sound, the waters of the Puget Sound, the um, Cascade Mountain Range, the Olympic uh, National Rainforest. Mount Rainier majestically jets up about 14,000 feet. And when we were kids, we would play in the woods. We lived in a rural area, and we could always use the mountain as a reference point to where we were, wherever we were. And I still love going home. And when you get off the plane in Washington State in Seattle, you can smell the evergreens and feel the uh, power of that geography. Now, east of the Cascade Mountains is like a different state. Uh, Eastern Washington is very dry and desert-like. My best friend uh, Becky and I were going over the Cascades, over the Snoqualmie uh, Pass, east, when we hit the flatlands. And Becky just let out this huge sigh because she felt like she could breathe again. She had grown up in eastern Washington, and that landscape, that geography, those, the vastness of the, of the geography really spoke to her inside. And I suspect that those of you who have grown up on the Great Plains, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Kansas, Texas, might feel the same. I remember as a child, we were on a family vacation going across Montana, east to west, and that is a lot of flatland. And my brother and I just kept driving our parents crazy because every time we saw a tree, we'd yell, tree! And uh, they got a little annoying. For the next six weeks of Lent, our sermons will focus around what we're calling elemental theology. We've chosen six earthly elements, desert, fire, water, mountains, dirt, and trees, and we'll reflect theologically upon them. We believe God is embodied in the elements that are foundational to our planet, and we're kind of excited about drawing out these metaphors that are woven throughout scripture and using these poetic images 
um, as, a, as lenses into the journey of the soul. 14th century mystic Teresa of Avila said, always visualize your soul as vast, spacious, and plentiful. The spacious landscape of the soul is where the spirit leads us to face God and to face ourselves. Today's gospel lesson takes place in the wilderness or the desert. Um, in Hebrew, that word is used interchangeably for desert and wilderness. Jesus is led up into the wild by the spirit to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And while fasting, Jesus confronts questions about his own identity, his divinity, his humanity, and God's call on his life. And Jesus faces down the tempter who lays a net to trap him to prove his own self-reliance by creating bread for himself or to prove his self-glory, to show his glory by throwing himself off the pinnacle. And ultimately, the tempter entices Jesus to give allegiance to one other than the Lord God. And Jesus refuses each temptation and completes his soul work in the wilderness, faithful to the end, but depleted in body and spirit. So I want us to consider this morning spacious landscapes or deserts in our own lives, times when our predictable, reliable, and safe lives were shaken up, were shaken by unforeseen or unexpected events, and we were pushed into new terrain. I went through a time in my sophomore year of college, nothing too serious for the most part, developmentally, I was right on track. I had broken up with a boyfriend. I was panicked about picking a major, um, the right major, which by the way, I was a religion major, which my parents had quite anxiety, had an anxiety about that, of what I would do with a major in religion. And look at me now. <laughs> I, my mom, however, more on a more serious note, my mom was diagnosed with cancer when I was 19. So at that time, at 19 years old, I was afraid and I felt very alone. And uh, I hadn't invested myself enough in creating a network of friendships to carry me through a time like that. I wasn't sure what direction I was being led, but I was sure that I was in a wilderness. And one night I was by myself in my dorm room scouring the scriptures for a word of comfort and clarity, and I came upon this psalm, Psalm 31. And it was this, as if the words leapt off the page from verse 8. God has set my feet in a broad place. God has set my feet in a spacious place. And that was exactly how I felt. I felt like I'd been picked up in, and set in a place so broad, so vast, so unfamiliar, I had no reference points. It reminded me of a game uh, in high school PE class in which 
a person was blindfolded, one person at a time was blindfolded and had to crawl around on the gym floor searching for cans that had been scattered around the floor. Anyone else or only those of us in rural areas play, played that game? I dreaded it. Not only did you look like a fool, you felt like a fool, and I hated that sense of disorientation. But the feeling of crawling around, unable to see or grasp at something familiar was how I felt during that lonely time, that spacious place in college. The image of being in a spiritually spacious place can be bittersweet, in some strange way can be a comfort. When I moved to Colorado, I felt again that I'd had my feet set in a spacious place, inwardly and outwardly. The familiar markers of home and job and friends and coffee shops that I loved had been removed and I had to rely upon God and new relationships to give me that sense of security. Life has one predictable cycle. We get settled and comfortable in a familiar place with familiar patterns, and then some unforeseen event shakes us up, and we find ourselves pushed out into that new territory. A job loss or a new job offer, graduating from high school or college, a move into a new home, even a new home just across town, a diagnosis or the death of a loved one or the ending of a relationship or the beginning of a new relationship. Spacious places aren't all bad, but they can be um, disorienting. The fences are removed, our world expands, and it's really easy to be tempted to go backward to what is familiar, old patterns, old relationships, old belief systems. We want to cling to what is familiar, all that masquerades as real security, true security, our bank accounts, or our, in the last few weeks, our investments, our relationships, the roles we play, our neatly arranged lives. We want to go back or we want to cling to the familiar because we hate being uncertain. We don't like being in the, un, the discomfort of the unknown. And the Israelites were great examples of this. They were finally set free from Egypt, from their bondage in Egypt. They were liberated into the vast landscape of the wilderness. But when they faced the unknown, fear overcame them. And they pled with Moses to let them go back to slavery. Because at least, they said, at least we knew we know where our next meal would come from. The psalmist's speech in 31 is directed to God. And it's no pious, gentle prayer. The psalmist says, In you, O Lord, I seek refuge. Do not let me be put to shame and the powerful, the collage of powerful verbs that he, he uses, rescue me, save me, shelter me, spare me. He asked God to be for him what's translated as a safe house or a sanctuary. 
the psalmist turns his focus and his trust toward the fidelity of God, and then he waits. When our lives become too narrow, too small, God gets to work by unfolding us and setting our feet in spacious places so we might expand what we think is possible. God believes in us more than we believe in ourselves. And spacious places can indeed be frightening. They make us feel vulnerable. But they also give us breathing room, room to grow, and the opportunity to find out who we are and what we're capable of. Lent is a wilderness set in time. A wilderness set in time. In Lent, for these six weeks, we get to choose to go into the vast and spacious place of our souls to increase our awareness of God, to increase our understanding of ourselves and our love for neighbor. We get to discern where God might be calling us. So the wilderness is not out there. The wilderness is inside of us. And we have to be brave enough to go inside, trusting that God's hand will hold us and guide us and keep us in God's care. May God bless you on this Lenten journey. And may you find yourselves in a spacious place and not afraid. Amen.